Hey, we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share, and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. In this episode, we have Rochelle Denae Poth with a focus on unconventional ways to thrive in education. Rochelle Denae Poth is an ed tech consultant, presenter, attorney, author, and teacher. Rochelle teaches Spanish and STEAM classes. What's next in emerging technology in Riverview Junior Senior High School in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, not far from where we are here today. <laughs> she has a Juris Doctorate degree and a Master's degree in Instructional Technology. She serves as the past president of the ISTE Teacher Education Network and serves on the leadership team of the Mobile Learning Network. She received the ISTE Making It Happen Award and a Presidential Gold Award for Volunteer Service to Education. Rochelle is the author of five books, including, in other words, quotes that push our thinking, unconventional ways to thrive in edu, which we're going to talk about today, and the future is now looking back to move ahead. Her latest books are Chart a New Course, A Guide to Teaching Essential Skills for Tomorrow's World, and True Story Lessons That One Kid Taught Us. We will link back to all of those books in the show notes. Okay, Rochelle, thank you for joining us on Focus Ed today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm sorry you had to read all of the bio information, but uh, it's good to be here and to get a chance to talk with everybody and learn about what you're doing and share ideas. And yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I can't believe like it's just the time is passing so quickly that it's, I thought, wow, this is, this is happening today. But I don't know, we're keeping so busy. So it's good. It's good to be here. It's good to actually see and connect with people since we're, we're not traveling or going to conferences. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. We always love having a live uh, studio audience here with with our um, guests on Zoom. And so we're going to dig right in. Um, and the bio information is great because people will link back to your books up and people love to know who our guests are and, and what they're doing. And you wear so many hats, teacher, lawyer, presenter. I, I think that's a very interesting background. So let's jump into that. You wrote a book called Unconventional Ways to Thrive in Edu. Let's Let's start with the book and then we'll get into some of your experiences. We'd love to know why you wrote this book and what you want educators to take from your message. Yeah, great question. It is, it's a book I worked a really long time on. I was actually, when I, I started to write any books, I was working on three at the same time. And that would have been October, November, December of 2018, I think. And when I started to work on this one, what I 
my whole focus was for so many years, I was teaching, I was doing a lot of things. I was keeping myself isolated. I was doing a lot of the same activities or teaching in the same way that I had been taught as a student and didn't see any need to change because in my mind, I was thinking like this worked for me and teaching Spanish was the, the main thing that I taught. And I thought, well, as I took French in high school actually. So it wasn't even like I took Spanish. When I tell my students, I'm like, you never know what you're gonna end up doing later on in life. I took French, I'm not even taking French anymore. But I had been just following those, those same patterns and habits and activities and projects. And I didn't leave any room for like student choice, for example, or my room, it was very structured. You know, the desks were in rows. I was talking the whole time. I was doing all of the same types of things that I had experienced both in high school, also in my college career. But part of that was because it was comfortable for me because that's what I had seen and that's what had worked well for me. The other part of it was because Unlike today with the, the pre-service teachers and the teaching education programs, what they're providing for students, like what, back whenever I went to school, we didn't have that. So I didn't have a lot of the methodologies and I went into teaching without, I remember my first interview that I went on and they asked me about Madeline Hunter and I didn't, I didn't know who Madeline Hunter was. I, I couldn't even come up with an, an answer to kind of like wait, work my way through that. And there were a lot of other gaps like that. And so I think you know, I just went in, I tried doing what was comfortable. And then there came a point in time about probably seven, eight years ago now, where I noticed that student engagement in my classroom was just really, it just was not happening. And the problem was me. I didn't understand what student engagement actually meant. I thought that I was giving them a game to play or doing some activity and they looked like they were having fun. They were enjoying it. But then when I noticed is they, they weren't actually retaining what I was trying to teach them and it wasn't kind of matching up. And so that was kind of the first time where I took a look, a look at my classroom. I got rid of all the rows of desks in my room. I just totally created this mass room of chaos a couple minutes before classes came in. And that was kind of the start of where I tried to do things like in an unconventional way, took some risks and didn't necessarily know what I was doing, sometimes making it up right when the students came in or having a plan. And when they came in based on, you know, interactions with them, maybe there was something going on, maybe they were tired, maybe that, who knows, and changing it just on a whim and seeing what happened and also bringing kids in with that. And so over the course of a couple of years, I tried to do things that weren't comfortable for me necessarily, or that weren't things typically done or used by a language teacher. And so I thought, you know, we think about innovation and it doesn't have to involve like technology. It's just doing something new or different or making one slight change. And I think, especially in this past year, finding any extra time to do anything, it's hard to do that. And so my, one of my biggest purposes is if I can, if I can spend the time in front of the computer and trying these things out, and if I can share them and give tons of ideas for teachers to just pick up this is what it looks like in the classroom and give it a try, then that's what I'm all about because I want to save time for others. And I want others to know like, yeah, I tried this and it didn't really go well and here's why, but it, it might just be the thing you're looking for. So it ended up just being this whole collection of a lot of ideas that maybe teachers have thought about trying, didn't necessarily know where to begin or thought, yeah, I, I can't do that in my class because you know I teach a different grade level or my content area doesn't connect with that. So I just wanted to put together a book full of like all kinds of things that I tried and share how they worked for me. Rochelle, thank you for that. And kudos to you for being introspective 
sensing probably your students' frustration, their lack of engagement, and, and you acting on it. We have a lot of administrators, instructional leaders, coaches on this call and that will listen to the podcast. What are some early supports that you wish you had? It sounds like you came to this, you know, by your own way. You didn't necessarily have a supervisor, an administrator necessarily telling you to do this. But we have these administrators on the call. What are some early supports? If, if we're going to start directing our staff in a certain direction, what are some things that have to be in place to really help this progress in a productive way and, you know, really kind of help, you know, el eliminate some of those experience that, yeah, they may be beneficial, but also incredibly time consuming? Yeah, that's a great question, especially with administrators, I know the number one thing, and, and I can't say that this is applicable for my experience as far as like support my school, because I kind of just started to do a lot of different things. And I would say we're a small school. So we have a principal and assistant principal, and I've been using like technology and doing conferences and things for many years and have kind of been known for coming up with some just bizarre ideas at times or, or trying something that, you know, trying to creatively solve a problem. And I think the biggest thing is one, I mean, the support. And while it might not be something that maybe you've heard of or that you have a, a story that you heard somebody tried something, for example, like if I just pick, I'll pick augmented virtual reality. You know, maybe you have a math teacher who says, I would like to get some headsets and some merge cubes for my math class. And for me, for years, I was teaching about those emerging topics in my STEAM course, but I never thought about their applicability in my Spanish class. Because I thought, well, how can I bring that in? You know, I'm teaching Spanish. It's all about, I got to teach them the language and the verbs, but it's just kind of that, that willingness to listen and to encourage and support and, you know, and see how it goes because it's, it's totally a learning process for all of us. But I also think by kind of being on board and jumping in with some of those experiences and providing that support, whether it comes from directly from an administrator or I mean, a lot of districts don't have tech coaches. Mine does not. And I tend to be like that person that people go to for ideas. But having a space or a time set aside where teachers can collaborate and can share ideas or PLCs. I know some schools have been using PLCs for years. My school started to do PLCs about two years ago. And um, some of the options with that are, you know, working in a, in a group maybe with your curriculum that you teach, or it might just be like a self-directed and maybe you have some that are focused on like, I want to learn about doing like choice boards or project-based learning, for example, and finding teachers kind of to be like a cohort or a small group and just being a part of that. And, you know, the support, of course, again, with administrators, there's, there are so many things on your plates that are so demanding, but I think just the best thing is just being open to some of those ideas or even Sometimes teachers don't, like myself, I never wanted to say, you know, I'm really struggling with classroom management, or I feel like I'm doing the same thing every year. I'm using the same worksheets, doing the same activities. I guess starting a conversation that says, you know, if you're in, on Twitter chats or you're in a Facebook community or anything that's happening right now, you get all these ideas. If you learn about those, kind of encouraging the people, your teachers, anybody on your staff to like explore those or set up those opportunities for them to kind of I don't know, like a once a month kind of a meeting where it's like a real fast idea share and highlighting like what I like to call teacher talent, because we all have these teachers in our schools that are doing these interesting, whether it involves technology or not. 
and we don't often have the time to kind of share that with each other because we're doing so many things right now. And I think if you are aware of that kind of helping teachers to encourage that or kind of pulling that out of teachers and creating a space and opportunity for them to then share something they're doing. Maybe it's by department, say, you know, language department, you're up this month and we want to hear like, what are five ideas that you tried? And then encouraging kind of that conversation. So a lot of random ideas on that one, but hopefully a few of those might be like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's, I'm glad you, you answered the question that way, because I really was going to ask about spreading the word and, you know, kind of how these things can permeate a school versus one teacher trying new things. So thank you for sharing that. I want to dig into a notion from the book and then anything else you might say about some of the sections for those who haven't read it or, or are intrigued to read this book. Some of the greatest lessons I learned about being a teacher came from thinking about my own negative experiences as a student in the seventh and ninth grade. That, that, that struck me because I think about my experiences in school and some of the things I'd like to change for young people in our school systems. Can you say a little bit more about that and, and, and why you chose to write that section on relationships? Yeah, that's, um, (laughs) those are stories that come up often in my classes because, you know, I think, I I try to think about as a student in elementary school and high school, you know, what did I remember the most about certain classes? Like the classes that I did well in, the classes that I didn't do well in, and I try and think, what are some things that I really didn't like as a student or that bothered me that I still remember? And so, I remember in seventh grade, I had an algebra course and the teacher just was not, I don't know if she just didn't like me or what, I didn't do all that well in it. And it was a struggle. And I I still remember it like it was yesterday and not probably like 35 years ago, actually probably longer than that at this point, but just her kind of like making a joke as I was leaving the classroom and stuff. And it just didn't, you know, I didn't have the confidence in the classes it was, and I didn't feel connected to by the teacher because of the different comments that were made. And I mean, I don't want to be any spoilers in it, but she basically, you know, I had, I had an early dismissal and I had to leave the class, which was always uncomfortable because teacher always pointed it out. And I, I don't know if I had a look on my face or what, but the teacher was basically like, you know, don't, I can't, now I can't even remember what it was. It is like last me for so long, but she basically made a comment and drew attention to the fact that I was leaving and, you know, was I upset and, oh, don't go away, Matt, don't leave something and just leave. But it was not, I'm not getting the wording right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was pulled from the book, but I, I was so embarrassed walking out of the classroom. I remember getting my grandmother's car. I mean, seventh grade, you know, I'm 12 years old, I think at the point. And in a, te- in a classroom where I didn't feel very confident at all, I didn't feel supported at all because I was struggling and to have that kind of an interaction. And I was embarrassed in front of my peers even more so because whenever we would have tests, and I don't always write about this, but the red ink, you know, everybody sees, everything's being handed back and, and it just, it left a mark. And in ninth grade, even too, I had an art class and I just told this story the other day to some of my students that we're talking about being creative and they're saying, ah, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I can't come up with neat ideas and, and so forth. And I remember in ninth grade, I was so excited to take art, had seen all of the different examples in the hallways and just figure if everybody else could do it with the right instruction, you know, I could create these things too. And 
on the second or third day of school, the teacher basically looked at what I had drawn and said, yeah, you know, you're not going to really do that well in here. Meaning, meanwhile, there's like 178 more days of school. So kind of defeated. And that one actually impacted me for years. I would stand in the front, like not drawing, I'm not doing anything. And it took a little while until I decided to start doing some sketch noting with my students and like taking that risk in drawing and to show as an example for them, like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning too, you know, I'm taking these risks, but a couple things like that, a couple things with like the feedback that was given, interactions with students and the types of work that we got, a lot of that ended up molding kind of into what I do or try to do in my own classroom. I mean, red ink, I've never graded in red ink for many reasons, but just because I had so many papers covered in red ink and I tried to think of like, what were the bad experiences or not so great experiences and which ones did I remember, you know, what teachers, what methods, what activities in class and pull that into, you know, at least as a start for what I would or would not do in my own classroom. But it also taught me the lesson to make sure that I check on with the students like, and get their feedback. Because again, for so many years of teaching, I was just like, this is how I'm doing it. No, you can't change the, the project requirements. No, we can't do it this way. Because in my mind, I thought I have to make all the decisions and that's just the way it goes. And the unconventional thing for me was to cause total chaos in my room, to spend less time talking, to get the students interacting and not worry if there was noise because they were collaborating and building all these social emotional learning skills and learning, student engagement was going up. And so it was, uh, you know, I really tried to take what I thought didn't work, what did work and try to find a way to make it kind of fit based on my own students' needs and interests, which varied by class, of course, too. Thank you, Rochelle, and sharing that. I think we all can look back on some positive and negatives, but that thread of how that influenced you is powerful. And again, I think it speaks to what we were talking about earlier. If you accepting what's occurred and then acknowledging it, but then changing that environment and making sure you don't put students in that predicament. It's a great segue into our next question. If you were going to improve the student experience in every school, you know, if you could do this, what would you want to see done? Yeah, that is another big question. And, you know, I've been thinking about in the past, on the past year, almost looking at like my school started off fully virtual for the first nine weeks. We've been hybrid since November, but even last year at the end of the school year, trying to think about, I mean, while everybody was feeling, you know, negative, we, we didn't have a system set up where we were meeting regularly. Our students didn't have, have all have access. And now, I mean, one thing was I became more mindful of student circumstances and just as a side note, found out some of my students last year were essential workers and had on extra responsibilities in school. And those weren't things that I considered because like, I always think students come to school, they're in our class, they go home, they have time to do their assignments because that was my experience, but that's not the experience of every student today. And what I've learned over the past school year, especially is that, you know, there are a lot of really good things that we can take away from what has happened in our schools in this past year. One thing, you know, teachers have taken a lot of more risks in trying new things and bringing in technology into the classroom. Another thing is students have had hopefully more choice in designing and figuring out like the pace of their learning instead of their schedule. And I, my students last year, probably in May, I had some juniors and seniors 
who we just, we would start each class with kind of like real talk. And I think that it's important that every class period as much as we can with our students or with our staff or whoever is have that time for those check-ins to find out how are things going to have those conversations because as teachers, just like students, we need that feedback. Sometimes my students are, are brutally honest about what they say. And in fact, whenever I did kind of mess up my whole entire room layout and had students working together more, I, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that what I was doing wasn't working me in the front of the room with 25 kids that were disconnected from me, disconnected from each other. And I figured that's not working. So I got to try something different. And that made a huge difference because students started to come back and say, I like class so much better this year. I'm the only Spanish teacher. So once they take it, like if they take four years, they've got me. If they take the eighth grade course, they've got me for five years, whether or not that's good or bad for them. But for me, it's awesome because I get to have those, I build those relationships over time. We get to have those connections and um, I see their growth, but I'm hoping that, you know, that schools will look at if we go back to like a normal kind of typical, what we've been used to school year in the fall, which who knows if that will happen, that we don't forget about all the learning that has happened and the ways that we've pushed ourselves professionally, personally, what we've challenged um, for ourselves and for our students and our staff as we consider. And I do, there's an app called Clubhouse now. There, there are always all these things. It's an audio app. It's only available on iOS. Luckily I have an iPad. But I, I moderate some different rooms throughout the week and over the weekends, like Saturdays and Sundays, I have chats and we, it's just about, you know, a tech tools and tips. Like, what are you working on? What do you, what have you tried that doesn't, doesn't work? What is the experience like now in your school? And I also have two days a week where through Facebook and on Twitter, we have like a live conversation. It's, I have a thriving EDU community, but the one thing that stuck with me that somebody said this past weekend was that yeah, we're all trying these different spaces. We're using Teams, we're using Zoom, we're using Google Meet, we're bringing in LMSs, we have all of these technologies and so forth. But with all of that, he says, what I'm trying to ask myself and I'm trying to ask my students and thinking about is like, what is something that I started to do this year? Whether it's a different method that I tried, whether it's something that I got rid of, whether it's a new a tool that I brought on, what is something that I'm using now that I'm never giving up because it has made a huge difference in whatever it is. And so for me, there, there are a couple things that I've been trying to do a little bit differently. And I, I hope that instead of, and I, I was like this too, when we went back to school in the fall at the beginning of the year, even though we were virtual, my mindset was for the last 23 years of teaching, there were certain activities I started the year with. And I just thought, oh, beginning of the year, I got to start with these activities. I got to use materials. And I was concerned about that, especially when I got back into the physical classroom space, because there's that familiarity of like, oh yeah, I kind of remember this. So I hope that as we kind of keep moving through and changing from whether it's fully virtual, in-person, hybrid, that we always think about and reflect on like, okay, what worked really well? And that can mean having conversations with your students. I do check-ins with like just a Google form or something and find out, I mean, about them primarily, but I ask, you know, what do you think's going well? What do you like about this? What's something you wish that would change and valuing their input, but also doing that for teachers too. I know my school, we will have kind of like building level meetings. It's a small school. We have a high school, junior, senior high school and two elementaries, but just to have time to sit and talk about the challenges and also the, the wins, even if they're just small wins of what's working so that if next year we, we aren't back in the same kind of normal, like what are we taking away 
that we know made a difference. And if it made a difference, like how can we build upon that? Or if collectively some teachers say, yeah, you know, I really didn't know how to balance all of these like students checking in and attendance and are they listening? The cameras aren't on. And then you have some ideas where, you know, people say, this is what worked for me. And then you can take that and build on it. But I think the best is, you know, opening up the conversations, making sure to listen, sharing your ideas and your stories, whether or not they're like, yeah, this went really well, or, oh my gosh, this was an epic failure. Because for the first 10 or so years of my, my teaching, I didn't share any of that. If, if it wasn't going for a while, I kept it myself. I didn't reach out to anybody. And I always say, if I could go back and change any of that right now, I would, and I can't. So the best that I can do is to be mindful of that, constantly reflect, stay connected and see what I can do and change and improve upon for the future. The stay connection, the stay connected part is critical. I'd love to link back in the show notes to your Thrive and Edu community. I wrote down two things that I think are critical. First is mindful of student circumstances. I really do think we've learned a lot through COVID mm -hmm. there. And then I'm going to encourage anybody on the call or listen to the podcast to use this question in the near future with faculty, which is, what is something I'm using now that I'm never going to give up? I thought that was critical from you today. And it's a reflection question. I think people can start to do an inventory of their own growth. I don't know that people have really reflected enough on how much we've grown in education through these circumstances. And so we're going to prompt that growth. I want to ask you kind of a multi-layered question. You're definitely connected. You're connected on Twitter using Clubhouse. When you present, when you talk outside of your own books, are there resources that you point to? Are there other educators who you would say, this, you got to follow this person on Twitter? Are there people outside of education who you follow? Can you give us some nuggets of like, go here, go there, check this, this out, look yeah. this person up? There are a lot. And it honestly depends on you know, sometimes people reach out for like a specific topic, like I'm looking for something for augmented virtual reality for elementary students, or how do I start connecting? Because for me, again, one other thing I was wrong about was like social media. I never wanted a Facebook. I didn't understand. I didn't understand Twitter and the value. I just was like, it's one more thing. And now I have all of these accounts. But if I take all of those connections and the learning and opportunities that I've had that arose from those, I would probably still be the same person I was keeping to myself in my classroom and doing a lot of the same things over and over. And so I always recommend, I mean, you, it's hard to do all of those things because we have Instagram and we have Facebook and Twitter, but it's just at least starting with one and finding a community and maybe it's Twitter and there's a topic that you're interested in and you just follow the hashtag or finding chats. Like I, I host a chat on Monday nights. It's uh, 7.30 Eastern. It's a 30 minute chat called formative chat. And each week it, it's a topic focus, can be focused on assessment, but really we've been just doing a lot of different topics, assessing 21st century skills. We've been doing project-based learning. We've been doing social emotional learning. And it brings in a lot of educators from all around the world that join us for that quick 30 minutes who just share ideas and resources. And I think that those chats, even if you don't join in live, to go back and check, you know, what are the topics and just to be able to grab those ideas really quickly. Clubhouse is another space just because the power of voice and to be involved in a conversation. But even when it comes to like gathering resources, I am a member of ISTE, which is the International Society for Technology and Education. 
And so for anybody who is looking to kind of figure out how to implement, integrate more technology into the classroom and address different standards for helping students to build their skills for the future, that is an organization that I always recommend because within ISTE, they have 22, I might be off on that a little bit, but 22 or so different professional learning networks. And so if you're focused on early learning or STEM or equity, for example, you can join a, a community and there's discussion, they have Twitter chats, there's webinars, newsletters, you name it. And it's just a space where you can even ask questions too. Um, just like on Twitter, asking a question. I also refer to certain blog posts and blog sites for educators, like Getting Smart is one that I've been writing for as a teacher blogger for, I think about probably five years now. And there are a few others that I write for. And when I do that, it's just, first it started for me just sharing what I was doing in my classroom and like, here's some, here's five ideas for, you know, building social emotional learning skills in school, or here are five ideas to help, you know, build momentum in the spring, but just to have a quick, you know, grab ideas, try one or two of them and share them. But there, there are a lot of other publications out there too. I mean, aside from books, podcast, time to sit and read or to get in a Twitter chat, sometimes that's hard. And podcasts is something that uh, I, I listened to a few years ago. And then it's been about a year and a half where I have my own, which is Thrive and EDU, which is basically me talking to myself, but on different topics where I share ideas and I try and make them like a 12 to 15 minute all different topics I've covered. And it's just a quick idea share that says, hey, are you looking for some new ideas in new year? Here's five tools that you can try. And I think just finding any of those, or even if you have you know, a PLC and you form, have a book club, book study, just to have the conversations and toss ideas around, those are probably the most common that I would share. That's incredible. So we will link back to all of those in some form or fashion. I wrote down at least five that you mentioned. And I, I do think it's important to capture one thing you said about going back. That's the power of hashtags. And I don't know if people understand that within Twitter all the time. When you use that consistent hashtag, it's like a filing cabinet of resources. And I agree, it's hard sometimes to, to log in and participate, but knowing there's a topic you want to jump on or you know there's something is going to be said in a particular chat becomes invaluable. And I think, Rochelle, you said it earlier, when you're in a smaller district especially, you can find incredible resources out there. Somebody mentioned something that leads to something else. And just with a, a few clicks, you're right into that wealth of resource. So we appreciate all that. And great to know that you run that 15-minute podcast as well. Thanks for plugging that. We'll be sure to tune in as well. And we like the fact that, you know, again, it's incremental. It's a, a short time. People need those nuggets. Final question that kind of just gets a little bit of us forward thinking things we've learned about if there was a book you wish someone would write, what would it be about? Oh my, that, uh, <laughs> well, I, I could tell you this, the, when I was writing <laughs> the first three at the same time, which that's kind of like, how do you do that? But it's great for writer's block because if you get stuck on the one, you just go two tabs over and pick one of the other ones up. It just, it kind of works. But I had read, um, and I just finished two other books that they'll be out hopefully middle of the summer. But the best advice, the best thing that I 
that I read was from Brene Brown, who I love reading Brene Brown. And I think I have one book left to read by Brene. I have a stack, but somewhere in one of the things I read from her, she said, write the book that you need to read. And so that kind of guided me a little bit when I was writing some of my own. And then when I think about, because people will say, are you going to write a book after these ones? I'm like, ah, I don't, I might stop after seven. I don't know if I can write another one, but I can tell you that in my experiences, you know, not all of the books have been just me talking like, this is what I do. This is my experience because I've had educators share. I've had students that were juniors in high school, write And share in the books, which was amazing one, because they didn't think they could even write 300 words. And so if, if I, wish somebody would write a book. I wish that it would be a compilation of different stories, whether it's connected to like this past year. I don't want to say it's the, the next one of mine that's coming out because it's like a things I wish I knew book. And it's across the board for like things I wish teachers knew, things I wish administrators knew. But I think the books that I tend to like the most are ones that have real stories, educators just sharing like whatever it is. And it's not always that it's like, a happy book, like, you know, humor. I mean, you need all the humor, but you need like the real talk. And if anybody has a narrative, like, I think it would be great if a school wrote a book about their experience, especially if their experience during this past year was like a wake up call because students didn't have advice devices, or we, we didn't realize like for me, like what my students were experiencing to have students share their experience, because I think it's so important to think about what their experience has been through this past year of school, whether it's, you know, in some, some schools, I have a friend who like, they really weren't that impacted by it because they didn't have a high school population and they didn't have to make many changes. And for me to hear about that, you know, I just think if there were a collective book, not necessarily even one school, but a, like different parts of the country to say like, Here's from this side, this is what we experience. So people are just kind of more aware and maybe some of the stories resonate. I think that's, those books tend to be like the most powerful with also with some practical st strategies or questions to push your thinking a little bit reflected in there. So that was a really long answer. I'm sorry. I was trying to think about like, what kind of book would there be? No, I think the point about real stories from a school learning, especially during this crisis I think we're going to see a, a lot of books come from folks, but I do like the idea of schools writing their own story and publishing that. And I don't know, Joe, if we've done a podcast in Focus Ed or One Thing series where Brene Brown hasn't come up. And I know we joke about that a lot, but has it's amazing. It is absolutely I talk about one individual that is really affected so many people mm -hmm. in a positive way in so many different spaces. I mean, that's what's amazing. I, TJ and I have interviewed countless people now and she continues to come up. We just got to get her on the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would like to come on if you get her back on the show. <laughs> like, yeah, she definitely does. And I, and I will tell you when I had read her book and I have like, there's a set of books over here behind me. They're like my go-tos. But when I read Daring Greatly, it was about, it's probably almost four years ago at this point. And I had to do, a presentation from Microsoft, like a hack the classroom where they, they do it live in a small studio and they stream it out around like to how many thousands of people around the world, which is super scary. I also had to do my first keynote and I just was like, I can't do this. You know, I'm not going to be able to do it. I don't have anything to say, whatever. And I had just started reading her book and I read the quote about vulnerability. 
and the courage to show up and, you know, when you'll be seen when you have no control over the outcome and the story behind, and I actually included that as part of uh, my first book, but I thought, yeah, you know what, like, that's just what we have to do for life. And so I, I've kept that in mind that vulnerability has become key for me because the, the me of 10 years ago, like I wouldn't be sharing like, yeah, I had these problems or yeah, I kept to myself or this is, these are the interactions I had with students and they didn't go that well. And like, I wish I could have done that more done that differently. So you're right. She comes up a lot, especially now that there's a podcast and she's on and um, often referred to Brene Brown and Simon Sinek. I would say those, those two all the time. That's great. And I won't give it away, but her, her story about her own keynote in front of C-suite people in Daring Greatly is awesome. So if you haven't read that book, check it out. Well, Rochelle, this has been awesome. Thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate all your time. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, I would just say that it's not, it has not been, nor will it continue to be in anytime soon, probably like back to normal, easy kind of a year, but it's okay because I think for me and for a lot of us last year, I, I figured that this was like the worst, loudest wake up call, like that nobody wanted the alarm you did not set, but it still went off like, hey, we have to change. And so I hope that people took it as an opportunity to do something that had been on your list and you didn't think you could do, you didn't have time to try and just do something a little bit differently because there has never been a better time to take those chances than right now. That's awesome. Never been another time to take chances than right now. Fantastic. You heard it here on Focus Ed. Rochelle, Danae, Poth, everyone, a virtual round of applause from our studio audience. Thank you again for being here. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, and books to read, and so much more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep, a good night's rest, self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend GhostBed, our sponsor, with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. 
Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghost Bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com.